On today's episode of the Fuck Lamont Podcast, we're going to talk about how screwed The Conjuring is and reminiscing about 90s music and how awesome it was. Hey, Todd, what's up? Not much, man. It's a... Uh... <laughs> Thursday morning. Good morning, man. It's um, a Thursday morning. I'm copied up. I'm not. Yep. I'm not lazy mouth. I'm also not super hyper. I didn't just eat a bunch of food because I didn't have time. But uh, you're listening to another fucking mom podcast. I I just thought I'd throw off the top just a little quick. Uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Fuck the Mond, F-U-K-L-E-M-O-N-D, and uh, rate and review that shit. Tell your friends, subscribe to us on Twitter at Fuck the Mond, and at Fuck the Mond Media. Yep. And on Instagram at Fuck the Mond, and then there, there's, uh, of course, at Fuck the Mond pod on both Twitter and Instagram for extra stuff. Um, definitely tell your friends. We, we want to get the word out there. We were just talking about that. Yep, yep. Um, promoting, promoting, promoting. Uh, we have a Patreon account, and we're, we're starting on the YouTube channel right now. It's all video game stuff, but eventually we're going to move on to other things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's Nick's, wor- Nick's working very hard at that. Yeah, and just, I'm, I'm just here. making shit. That's what we do. Just, just <laughs> making shit. Yeah, man. I am drinking coffee, of course, so you will hear that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like super compress that and bring it up in the mix. Just <laughs> It'll make it. people think of coffee. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what do we got? Because, because I got something um, that I want to bring up, and I'm, I'm just mentioning it now because I want to say that unlike the last couple episodes, it won't be dominated by my talking. After I say this, you start talking. I'll just. Oh, throw you can, you can keep talking. I don't mind. Like last, last one was actually me talking because it was my top five. Probably not as long as I did because I rambled. But about- you had good stuff. It was, it was all good. It was all good. Um, yeah. Have you seen what's going on with The Conjuring? No. Okay. I've seen part of the first movie. Okay. So what's going on? if you don't know what The Conjuring is, listeners, it's a movie that came out maybe five years ago. There's two of them out right now. And I think they're working on the third one. It's about these two, um, this, this married couple that go and they investigate haunted stories. And the wife right. could like see ghosts or talk to ghosts or whatever like that and anyways their big like spiel like a lot of horror movies is it's based on a true story they're like these events happen they're based on a true story right so recently um i can't remember the guy's name it's like brennan gerbils or gerald bubbles or something anyways this guy he wrote a book back in 1980 called the demonologist right and it's literally about the couple in this story, right? right? So they talk about the adventures and those, I guess they went on to become parts of this movie. Um, anyways, he's suing Warner Brothers and I think it's New Line as well for like $900 million. He literally is going for everything. Like he's like, this is my story. You plagiarized. I want, I want paid and rightfully so. Like if I found out that yeah. my stuff was... Um, plagiarized i would like to get my money too especially if it made 900 million dollars i'm surprised that if they cared like they they made a good quality flick Mm -hmm. by the looks of it i've seen like parts of it i've seen half an hour of the first movie that's that qualifies as having seen some of it um you think that they'd be one of those filmmaking groups that involves the uh the sources like train spotting the writer played a character in the movie because they cared about yeah well, this is their argument now. Warner's like, listen, this is based on historical events. So 
it's it's open game. Okay, so like if I was to write a book about a soldier in World War II and it really happened, then it's not plagiarizing, right? Yeah. Um, but this is different because this is about ghost hunters that experience ghosts and there's kind of this big question about like ghosts don't exist. So therefore you're copying a story, not a real event. Well, so it's a pretty general event of like, I don't know. You see, I wrote, I, I wrote a movie about uh, a woman who went to the store, but hey, but, I also wrote a book about that. You plagiarized me, but no, 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 no. You're, this is specific people that they're oh, okay. naming that like have, the names and stuff. Oh yeah. It's, it's based on the couple oh, that are in the country. Yeah. That's plagiarized. That's um, so anyways, <laughs> So Warners kind of put themselves in a pickle here. They have to prove that ghosts exist for their merit to hold, right? Did Which they get is, Johnny Cochran? I hope they get Johnny Cochran, because <laughs> if not, they might be paying out quite a bit of money. If the ghost one. is legit, you must acquit. Yeah, if the ghost is legit, you must acquit. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, Warner Bros. So anyways, I, I, I just read that. Uh, this morning, actually, and I know it's been in the news for a couple of days, but I thought that was really interesting about like that is, you know, and and a lot of horror movies do it. They like it's just a scare factor. I don't think there's anything really legal or illegal about saying this is based on a true story. Like, but I don't know. I thought that was funny. So, anyways, good luck to everybody in the thing, and hope everything works out for whoever's supposed to be right. Yeah, yeah, and well, maybe maybe they'll work something out, and he can get cut in on. A, a shit ton of the profit made off the next. Uh, even movie. if they and, cut him a check for twenty million, thirty million, you know, yeah. if they just like settle, that's still I would, I would take that. He's still rich for life, you know. Once you get past like twenty million dollars, it's all the same. Like, and then when he dies, he gets to find out if he can take it with him. Yeah, totally for sure. What kind of life does who he knew? Want to live Maybe with Warner was right all along. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, let's see if if you if you die and a ghost comes back, and then even though even if they lose the the gamble of whether yeah. or not ghosts exist. Well, he, he's not around to come after the money anymore. Yeah. Um, Did you watch? I, oh, sorry. I don't condone violence or death. I don't condone violence or death either. Like, like we're not United Airways here. So it's like, yeah, yeah. they sucked before that story. They people love to jump on shit. So everyone's making a stink on Facebook, making their jokes before comedians actually get to, and they're okay jokes, but I don't, they, they were a horrible airline always. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, yeah, and the guy on the airplane too couldn't have been more bitch than going limp. I don't know, man. I think you know at that point, if if like He's a I was forty something year old, I would have I would have done the same thing because I'm like they are gonna pay him out the yin yang on this one. Yeah, but be an adult about it, Sue. Don't. He's doing don't. it. Yeah, I think he just filed. Good, but so. people can see you on video screaming like an infant, but and I then think, going limp. But I think like people like supported that like they didn't support him getting beaten but they like saw that and they were kind of like on his side like i mean i'm on his side too yeah but the way he acted and we we all know that he act, he can't deny it he's like hey aren't you the guy that, that screamed like a little kid and then went limp like a little kid instead of just being like you're gonna get sued and then walking off the plane like an adult at the same time united airways fuck them yeah, I like, you know I I I think like okay so fuck them more. I watched the video and like I saw the scene with like I I watched the part where he was like you know just kill me just kill me. I thought that was a little extreme. I didn't know what all went on beforehand or afterhand. I just saw this video and I was like, well, what the hell is going on here? Like, is this like some kind of crazy like attack on on an airplane that you know? But it turned out it was just security that beat the piss out of this guy and 
you know, try to yeah. get him off. And they tried to get him off, eh? Yeah, they tried to get him. Well, you know, they needed the seats for flight staff to go to I another know. airport. And, and you know, and and I don't know if anybody's ever been bumped before, but sometimes you can get compensated pretty good. So yeah, but I mean, I guess he was already seated and all that stuff, and one thing led to another, and yeah. oh yeah, they're horrible. You know, he should join the 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 um the legal services with uh the conjuring and see how that goes. That that was a bad joke. I won't yeah. put that in there. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was other things, and then finally Charlie Murphy. What did you hear about Charlie Murphy? No, died yesterday. Oh no! Yeah, he passed away. I think from uh, leukemia. I think that's what it was. Oh, that's horrible. So he wasn't. He was young. He was like fifty-seven or fifty-four, fifty-seven, in that range. But yeah. So on the bright side, Dave Chappelle's stand-up career has been brought back to life on Netflix. Yeah, and I, I like. That's really sad for him too, all and all of his friends and Eddie. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, there's an example of someone who's rich as shit and set for life and can still have tragedy happen that's going right. to rock his world. Yeah. So no matter how much you have, you still lose mm-hmm. sometimes. That's awful. He was a brilliantly funny man. He was. like, And I didn't know much about him till the Dave Chappelle series, right. where it's like, I mean, of, of course, like, you know, the famous he, stories of Charlie Murphy, yeah. uh, so Prince, and of course, you know, Rick James. And God bless... Even though I don't believe him, but God bless uh, Dave Chappelle for turning him from Eddie Murphy's brother into Charlie Murphy. Yeah, you know totally. What I mean? Yeah, and that and you can kind of see now, like, because he did a lot of writing. I think he did a lot of writing with Eddie Murphy as well, and a lot mm-hmm. of behind the scenes stuff for for his stand up and that. So you can really, you really kind of saw where a lot of Eddie Murphy's humor came from from his brother. And yeah, it was really too bad when I read that. I thought that was too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that note, moment of silence for Charlie Murphy. Okay, on a happy note, I started watching Twin Peaks. I don't know how happy that is, but... I no, I, I don't have HBO, but I know it's going back up. And uh, I saw the preview of the new Twin Peaks. There's a preview? Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically like a shot from the old Twin Peaks, and, like, and then a couple of those back, backdrop shots of the, of the town. And then you see Kyle McLaughlin... Dressed in a suit, walking towards the screen, like they, it's a, it's a total teaser, but it's like that thing that reminds you why Twin Peaks killed you, and then yeah. is, is like we're coming back. You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, like it was. We were talking about it, and then like that night uh, after the one podcast when we were talking about Twin Peaks and we we're talking about Riverdale and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna start it because oh I've Riverdale, watched, your yeah. days are numbered. Yeah, so <laughs> I I finally started Twin Peaks and like. It's really, really good. You got to get past like the datedness of the nineties. Yeah. And there's, and it's, you will. And it, it's David Lynch. So it's, it's can be pretty cheesy on characters. Like they're very, like when you see a bully, he's very, very much a school bully and he's like tweaked out and you're just like, wow. But that, I mean, that's just how David Lynch's style is. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, then you start to really catch on, like there's some brilliant, brilliant scenes. Like there's one scene in the red room. I don't know if you ever seen, snippets of that with the midget in the red room and yeah. he starts like dancing and you're just like I still to this day don't know what that is is that like their- it was a dream that he had so right. like he was dreaming and it was such a cool scene because basically you had um, the little guy and then you had this girl that looked like um, the girl that was murdered yeah Laura, uh, Laura yeah and then um, they're talking normally but the way they must have filmed it is they must have had them say the the lines they, backwards they say them backwards and then they and reverse then they, it. they reverse it yeah uh, yeah so are you hear you, you 
Yeah. And so he's basically telling um, him that he's got to like, you know, solve this, you know, solve this puzzle of this dream. And then you, you, you will figure out who killed Laura. But um, it was really neat. And so then the scene, he gets up and he just starts dancing. And you're just like, <laughs> this is such a out there scene, right? But then you kind of realize like this, this is kind of like the Nirvana or the Jimi Hendrix of that genre of drama shows, right? Like, yeah. like we're kind of used to that kind of thing now where every episode there's a twist and there's always got to be something new like Lost, you know, every, it's like yeah. gets carried away. This was the first kind of show that did that, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of neat. It's totally, um, what do you call it? Interpretive or abstract? Yeah. Yeah. It's abstract art. And, and oh, I was going to say like all the little things like David Lynch is really is known for putting like things from other movies in his, his other yeah. work. So like, for example, if you look at the floor pattern in that room, I can't remember the pattern, but he uses that pattern in like other movies and mm-hmm. other carpet scenes. And the one guy's suit has the same pattern. And I don't know what it means. Well, he totally puts stuff in there that's meant to be psychologically like the color of yeah. the curtains and the pattern on the floor is meant not 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 for any symbolic reason, mm. but it's just it's psychologically, you know, it, it yeah. does something to you subconsciously while you're watching it that. You know, it puts you in a state in a way. Totally, totally. And it's, it's hypnotic. Yeah, it's it's a really, really good series. I'm not finished the first season yet, so I'll keep you guys posted on my Twin Peaks. It gets more interesting in season two. Yeah, I hear. Like, it's it, they just introduced uh, a couple of seasons back that there's a weird evil entity there's in the woods. supernatural things happening in the show. Yeah. And that's, that's where it gets really messed up because the first season you think it's just a drama with dreams. Yeah. But it, there's supernatural things happening. And I went into it knowing that it didn't ruin anything. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good to know. Yeah. And so now I'm excited about when the new Twin Peaks coming out. And I also just saw a trailer for the new Mist series coming out, which I think is going to be really, really cool. I never got into the Mist. I really liked it. Not the, was it the, yeah, the Mist was the one I was thinking the fog, but the Mist is the Stephen King one. And right. that, that's a movie that like I could watch over and over. Like, I, I think I watch like every, it's like Roadhouse to me, to be honest. It's okay. like, I'll watch it like once a year. Like, it's just like a tradition. But um, yeah, I love The Mist. I thought it was really good. So I'm really curious to see how the series is going to come out and start. And then I'm still waiting for Bill Nye. That's okay. my other big, <laughs> excited spring series. Well, this this makes for a good segue because I'm going to, I'm gonna try to start this off right now. See if you want to get into it. By the way, is there an, is there anything else that you? No, want that's to? that's everything. That's all. That's all I had. Okay. So I like how we did something uh, last time based on based on your idea, where each of us had a thing, uh, and it was the top five horror movies. This one, this one's a bit more in depth, and I want to start off with you this time. Okay. Uh, recently, I've been getting back into the music that I loved when I was sixteen, and I was. I'm starting to, excuse me, I'm starting to brainstorm um, all kinds of things like events, the first gigs I ever played, uh, different things like what what happened when, like uh, musically, all of my firsts and the stuff that, that happened before my name was out there in town here. Uh, and a lot of it happened when I moved here. And this is 1999, 2000, when I started writing songs and went to a new school and met the people that were the first bands mm-hmm. I played in, the first bands I played with. Um, and it sort of centralizes around this period of time that I call like the punk rock. Um, you know, all the shows that were happening at the turn of the century that uh, were happening. If you weren't 
legal drinking age, it was probably a punk rock show. Right. And they were like at the Registry Theater, the Walper Pub, the bowling lanes, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff like that in high school bands and stuff like that. So it really got me thinking. I'm listening to all kinds of the music. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to Limp Biscuit, though I've stopped because I just can't stand Fred Durst's personality. But everything else, I'm still listening to Blink-182, Green Day, Rage Against the Machine. And I'm going to get into more of that. But just looking back at this period, it's really significant and even interesting to think about the details of how it all went together. So what I want to ask Nick Iden now, my faithful co-host and the hardworking producer of uh, this show on Fuck Lamont, um, first of all, when when did it really just at the very beginning uh, start for you? Like, when did you start learning how to play like, an instrument? I Oh, that's a good question. I started when I was 15. So okay. I, I was, uh, it was There's... my 15th birthday, I think. My parents got me an acoustic guitar, and I wanted to play guitar because I've been air guitaring like crazy. And I, yeah. I was a really big fan of music. You know, I was collecting music, and uh, I loved all that stuff. So going into that era, I would have been right after Cobain died. So I was a Nirvana fan, so that was kind of tragic. And then I okay, started... See, for, for you and me, it was different eras. We were the same age, but it was different eras, and that's why it's going to be interesting. So what was that music? The music that I was listening to at yeah. when I was... It, it was probably the stuff that made you want to learn how to play guitar, right? Yeah, the well, songs that you I mean, learned were by these bands. Let's see. Some of the records that I bought when I was 15 and 16, I was. Um, my friend Jason Hoffman got me in a band called Cracker. Not Uncle Cracker, but Cracker with David Laurie. He was in a band called um, Camper Van Beethoven. And then, so at this time, there was a song called Low that came out. Um, and that was kind of their, their big single. And then they would have just, when I was 16, they released the, an album called The Golden Age. Mm-hmm. And it was like a punk rocky kind of country album. It was, it was really neat. It was really, really cool. David Laurie is a really, really awesome songwriter. And he went to produce and write for like so many other people like The Counting Crows and yeah. all this stuff, right? So he's, he's pretty big in the music scene. Did, and were, even still. Were these guys that you knew in high school or? No, no, no. These, these, these were like all like major musicians. So... Oh, Jason Hoffman was my friend in high school. Okay. Yeah, he so he was really big in that stuff. And then his whole friends got me into like the whole punk rock thing. They listened like a lot of older punk rock. Like so there was a lot of like we listened to a lot of the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. We were shit disturbers in high school. Right. Because well, we listened to that kind of stuff. Like we would watch like Dazing Confused and Sid and Nancy <laughs> like every weekend. Nice. You know, so it was like it was like we're gonna go trash a Mel Brock box and smoke some whatever. Right. I, well, I was a loser in high school, so or I felt like a loser, but mm-hmm. punk rock even though I was an outsider among the outsiders, it was still my jam. Yeah, like it was it was kind of a neat time because also, yeah, like there was like the offspring, which was uh, a really big thing that came out at the time because they just released Smash. And Smash is a fantastic, not just, it, it's a fantastic album from beginning to end. And I think like two years ago, they actually toured Smash. They ended up going out and like doing album front to back. Yeah. Because it's so good because it had like, you got to keep them separated and, and all that stuff. And I remember that was a really, really cool um, album that I listened to quite a bit. Um, Green Day's Dookie came out. I wasn't a big Green Day fan. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't really get into it. I never got into like Limp Bizkit or anything like that. Like there was a that lot was of... That was later anyway, though. Yeah, I was, I was later 90s. I remember a lot of people were like getting into it. But I mean, there was... I would listen to that. Um, I got into like bands like Pennywise. So like that whole yeah. California punk rock scene, the skater the punk ska. rock. Yeah, again, like Scott, like no, like there was like the No Doubt, Mighty Mighty Boston's released when I was in high school too. They had some stuff that was good, but um, yeah, like bands like No Effects, yeah. loved No Effects, um, still love No Effects. Like I, they can't do no wrong to me. I think they're just a great 
punk rock band, you know? Yeah. And so like that whole California scene was really big. And then, you know, of course the, there was like the rancid, but you know, mm-hmm. they had outcome the wolves and all that stuff. Were the dropkick Murphys around then or was that later? That was later. Okay. Um, I mean, they could have been around, but I wasn't listening to them at that point. Yeah. Um, so that was like my, like when I was 16, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, listen to those albums. Um, now did you, did, before you continue, did, did you ever go away from that? Did you ever think like, cause I, I don't want to get into my, my shit, but like, as soon as I got into classic rock and the Beatles, everything changed for me. And I sort of like, I threw those high school nineties, late nineties bands away in a way. Um, and I only listened to them for years for sentimental right. value because I was into what I believe to be more sophisticated stuff that resonated with me as an, a young, a more older young adult. Uh, and I just thought all that high school stuff was so high school because I was trying to represent yeah. my maturity. But I come back to it as an adult feeling differently. Now, did you ever did you ever go through a phase where you didn't want to be associated with that younger music? Or the music that started you? I think when I started getting into the more older punk rock, um, and that was in high school, and I still loved all that stuff. Like, I never, and I think it's because I was listening to, like, older, I was really looking for um, not just what was cool at the moment, but I really wanted to find out where did that stuff come from. I was really big into the music history, musicology. So, like, you know, I remember listening to, like, um, uh, what like, New Order in high school. I remember listening to that, and I'm like, okay, who are these guys? And I discovered that they were from Joy Division and like right. who's Joy Division and I was constantly working yeah. backwards so I'd be like looking at like who Joy Division or you know these group of guys signed to Factory Records um what else do I know about Factory Records right and um I eventually I found like out about like Tony Wilson and then um the Happy Mondays and like this is my high school so like that whole British scene I loved Blur you yeah. know I loved like that whole kind of Manchesterian kind of blurry kind of British rock I, I call that the original post-punk. New yeah. Wave and all that was the original post-punk. And this is 294 is when they kind of did the the rehash of um, Woodstock. So we saw a lot of like right. those bands come come to parts. So I didn't, so like a lot of the new punk besides like The Offspring, I wasn't really into um, as much. Um, I loved Big Sugar. I still love Big Sugar. Yeah. So like concert wise, um, so Cracker was my first concert that I went to see at the Volcano, which was a, a, a venue that we had here in town. Um, and they had a, a Canadian band called Pluto open up for them. So I don't know. Have you ever heard of Pluto? No. They had like, it's it part of that nineties rock and roll Canadian kind of sound. Like right. they weren't that good, but you know, it was my first concert. I had a great time. Um, and then that spring I saw big sugar and that was right when maybe it was a year later. Hemivision came out. Okay. So it was just before Hemivision actually came Is out. Is that with like, I'm on the scene. No, that's that's later on. That would have been from. Um, I'm so young. <laughs> so Hemi Vision's like if I had my way and um, oh, digging a hole. Digging a hole was their big single. But I saw them at Sounds of Summer, and uh, dude had like, Gordy had it was ridiculous. It was like four Marshall cabinets and eight Marshall heads, and he had the curly cord, and he just the amount of giver was just like it was it was so punk rock, but it was blues, and it was just like okay, this is what I like about guitar playing just really. And I still play like that to this day. I just, yeah. you know, anything I can wind out, like even when I play in a funk band, but like you'll hear throughout the set, my, my distortion is getting louder and louder and louder. Cause I just digging in more and more. I, I love that. Getting so, back into rage against the machine is that that's rage one against thing the I love. Yeah, about I had Tom that on cassette when I, when I bought my, uh, when I got my first car, uh, that was the cassette, the cassette, there was a mixed tape and it was like basically just 
Rage Against the Machine that was in my tape deck, and we just yeah. listened to that nonstop. And this yeah. is still during the time of tape decks. You know, C- yeah. CDs were a luxury in a car, right? But tapes were <laughs> awesome too. Well, I started buying CDs before I became a, yeah. like before that era. Uh, can you remember? Uh, and if there's any sentimental value uh, for you with it, uh, what were the, what were the bands that you were playing around it with? And did you start off in a band, or were, did you ever do anything solo? Just Nick and a guitar. No, I never did anything solo. It was never like Nick Iden presents. It was always like um, I would play with bands. My very first band, I didn't have a name for the band, but um, it was me, this guy named Dan Brooks, and um, Jason Yutzi. We did something at lunch. Do you know Dan Brooks? Was he the same Dan Brooks that was in a band called Shaker? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I met so, him a couple of times. Yeah. Dan's a really cool guy. He actually, I think he's working for Six Shooter Records now. Like he's, that's cool. He's really cool. And we went to school beforehand too. And I didn't know he really played at this point. He was a very quiet guy through high school. Right. And so like, it was after high school when I was like, he's in a band and he's like <laughs> this awesome band. And you know, and, yeah. like I knew a lot of people in the band at the time that were in Shaker. I, I, I knew John mainly. Yeah. Like, he would ask me to come out and hang with them and, do some gigs. John's a cool guy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they did a, a, a reunion show two years ago. Oh, I fucking missed it. Yeah. And they rehearsed at my studio. So it was really nice catching up with those guys again and seeing them yeah. and that. But um, yeah, so th- that Steve was my Levine. first band. Yeah, Steve Levine. Yeah. And so John, no, and, uh, and, um, Andrew Scott, Andy Scott. Okay. I thought there was a Rob Butcher who's in the hot kid now was the drummer. When I met them, this is this is like around the time that I met you, two thousand six, mm-hmm. um, and he was there when I was recording my first record back in two thousand three. Man, fuck, uh, that so that's really cool. That that's I didn't know you that that you knew those guys. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I went to school with a lot, a few of them, like Steve Levine, Dan Brooks, Andy Scott. Like those guys were all yeah. they all grew up with Andrew me. Scott. Andrew Scott. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's pretty sweet. Well, a year before I met you is when I really sort of found a home in a way. And that's when I started meeting like everybody and just so many people that so many artists and bands that I was not completely unaware of before that. And it's funny because the scene that I was in before and in high school was a a wealth of bands and also bands coming through that had nothing to do with that. So like Mm. there was, it was like I was going into a different dimension and that's why I wanted to, I wanted to find out, because it happened a bit earlier in my life for you, right? Uh, the same, you know, the same hormones at the same age, learning how to play an instrument and getting out there, uh, happened at two different times with different music, and I just find that fascinating. Uh, do you ever do you ever listen to those records again? Oh, that- all the time. Like I like I those I was pretty fortunate with finding bands that um, were. There was substance to those bands, right? I find like, yeah, like, and that's something that I think a lot of bands don't do. Like back band, like if you listen to punk rock back in the seventies and you know um, stuff in the eighties and stuff like that, like those small record companies, record labels, like Epitaph would have been starting out, um, but like Factory Records, they were about building fans. So they cr- they really focused on what do the fans want, what kind of music sh- do we want to support, and you know, and they really kind of built a scene based on integrity. Right. Whereas you don't see that much now. It's like I'm just gonna throw a bunch of singles on YouTube and and hopefully somebody likes it. And if not, then I'm gonna move on to something else or I'm gonna just you know just shoot out a bunch of other stuff. And there's no like I don't know quality control or integrity on that. Right. You don't build fans that way. Yeah. So I so when I look back at the bands that I listened to like in high school, like when I look you know I will throw on No Effects 
to this day. I'll go yeah. jogging and throw on downward spiral by nine inch nails. But for the record, great jogging record. Yeah. If you just want to like, I'm starting to jog again. Oh, well you should be listening to nine inch nails downward spiral when you do it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Joy Division's also really cool. I, I would listen to that. Even like now Big Sugar. Like I still have all the discologies. I still listen to all that stuff. Um, nice. And then when I'm drinking and I want to, you know, reminisce, I'll throw on Smash because I think it's it's a really good album. I never I never have this like I can't listen to that. When I was in high school, I did that with Nirvana. I had a little bit of a disconnect, but that's because right. Nirvana got really big after like he they were really big before. I don't know who I'm kidding on this. Like. You know, it was mainstream to listen to Nirvana when he was alive, but when right. he died, it was a whole other thing. And I remember, yeah. like, all these record labels were looking for the next Nirvana, and that really helped out the Canadian music scene because they discovered a band called Salone, and they're like, these guys are going to be like the Canadian Nirvana. Yeah, and that took all these American companies, and they just started investing into Canadian record <laughs> companies, or moving north for a bit. And it was a short period of time; it was maybe four years. But you know, that was that's why we talk about in Canada that was like the golden age of music because, like. Out of that era, we had so many fantastic bands come out, and yeah. then you know, like, you know, like stuff bands like um, the Killjoys, yeah, Sloan still kicking it, alternative rock, yeah, like yeah. you know, like the, the East Coast had so many great bands, like you had like Thresh Hermit, um, which is um, uh, Joe Plaskett, yeah, and he's still doing stuff, right? But Thresh Hermit was a gritty rock and roll band back in the day too. There was bands like um, the Inbreds, which you know, any sense of time is still. You know, like these were awesome bands and yeah. they had the money to do it, do it to her. And um, it all dried up after probably 99, 2000. And then, yeah. But that mid nineties point was like an also great introduction to America of the, the Brit rock that came over mm-hmm. as well as like, like you said, with the Canadian stuff, big shiny tunes, it shines for a reason because yeah. like the, these Canadian bands that are on there, like um, what was the other one? I am Mother Earth's original lineup. Yeah, I am Mother Earth with Ed, uh, with Edwin. Yeah, and um, even though I'm not a huge, I wasn't a huge fan of them. Um, Moist. Yeah, and and that's funny because uh, Steven Tyler's daughter, Liz Tyler, is in the in the is Moist is in Moist or oh, okay. in the video of Moist. Okay. <laughs> so there's a scene for Push, and there's this girl dancing, and I th- I think that's I don't know if they start the video off that way, but it's uh, Mia. Or Liv. Liv. Liv Tyler. Yeah. That was like her introduction to her acting career was this Canadian band Moist's uh, mm-hmm. music video. Yeah. She's, she's amazing in her own right as an actress. She's beautiful. But Liv Tyler is not only the daughter of Aerosmith's lead singer, but her, her first name is Liv. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. The only yeah. person who could have an equally cool name is Di. And all you have to do is be named Diana. Maybe but that'll who- be like her... Her siblings, I don't know. Yeah, live and die. <laughs> live and die. But or, like, but I remember growing up as a kid, we never thought twice about like this is a Canadian band and not an American band. Like it was yeah, like when Sloan dropped, um, it was just what's on the, the edge. good in everyone. Like we played yeah. the shit out of that rec- that record, and now it still is one of the like the coolest records that they released. It's one of uh, the only bands yeah. I've seen twice. Yeah, I've seen them a bunch of times too, and it's always by accident. It's like yeah. I remember. Um, I was after- just downtown New Year's Eve. There they were. Yeah, one of the, one of the coolest um, Canadian bands that I saw was also by accident. It was a uh, Joe Plaskett in Guelph at uh, Jimmy Jazz on the patio. So Thrush Hermit, you know, probably like two thousand one, two thousand two. I think they that's when they they split up. Um, There's no more money, and I don't know, I don't know what what happened. So Joe Plaskett was the singer songwriter, and he went on his own. And uh, me and my friend Becky, we were walking down the street, and we heard this music coming from Jimmy Jazz and. 
Jimmy Jazz is a really cool indie venue. It's it's one of my favorite ones in Guelph. Love it. Yeah. So we went in, we went in the back, and I shit you not, there was three people there. Joe Plaskett playing a solo set with this killer gifts like it was like a Gibson guitar and a Fender, like an old Fender amp, and Hayden was sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Oh and, my God. Oh, he's another one. He and he's a huge influence on me too. I, he goes back to when I was fucking fifty. Oh yeah. Hayden was fantastic. And he he did um he's like the one singer songwriter that I listened to before I listened to singer songwriters. Yeah, and he he's got like some I don't know what his record deal was, but it's pretty sweet because he basically did the soundtrack for Trees Lounge with Steve oh, wow. Buscemi. And uh it's awesome. It's so good. And then I don't know, I think he just like writes for his own stuff and does whatever now and yeah he can. but he's from guelph or in that area so it's like i just want to grab that i, I want to grab your your yamaha over there and start girl playing. of my yeah. dreams <laughs> things are as bad as they should yeah anyways um so we're sitting there and we're just like this is the greatest thing and you know and joe this is joe plaskett just starting this is uh starting his own career at this point he just wow probably his first two were after thresh tournament just getting out there and playing you know so Nice. That was really cool. I like those moments. Um, whatever happened to Pluto? I don't even know. I know. It's not a planet anymore. I know that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> the dwarf planet now. Yeah. Yeah. I'd still go there. It's not here. So yeah. Why it's, not? It's, uh, it's probably got some gravity. Did they say that? I don't know. They might have found there's some kind of atmosphere on it. I can't remember. I didn't really read the article. I saw the cover, the title. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Pluto. But anyways... It's, um, it's probably like a really cool party going on inside the planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like underground. They got their own ecosystem. It's just like... Yeah, it's, just check, it's this big, huge place that's the inside of Pluto. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, it's probably like super awesome. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the things, though, because we had that like moment of, of uh, prosperity and then it just kind of collapsed on itself yeah canada has become like the capital of indie music because we've just all had to learn how to do it ourselves you know so it's well at the turn of the century think of what think of what happened with music in general and think of the think of the biggest canadian bands coming out then we're talking like just doing nothing but appealing to southern american vibes that yeah. calgary scene and Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne and Nickelback. So and some forty one, this so called pop punk and this so called alt rock. Yeah. Didn't uh Nickelback's uh single How You Remind Me, like, wasn't it released on nine eleven? I think it was that I, day. I, I think it dropped. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so um well I, I I could throw a joke, but I don't wanna. I'm not as bold as Louis C. Came. Who's special, <laughs> whose new special, by the way, is kick-ass. Did oh. you see him on Saturday Night Live? No. Unreal. It's so good. He's so good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of liked that song at the time because it was, it was different. But then they went from that to making, like, garbage. I never liked them. I never, even, like, the stuff they had before. I remember they had some singles before, and I just, I just thought it just. Well, his, his voice is good if. You think that their songs are genuine, authentic thoughts and feelings, and are not just your. I, and I admire this quality when people are writing, especially yeah. when they're writing for other artists. I'm like, you, you know, Ariana Grande doesn't write shit, but you know that there's a business of being a writer that gets their song put out by Ariana Grande and collects checks. And I admire that aspect, but you know that Nickelback writes for money; they mm. don't write for substance. 
Like yeah. writing a song about hanging out in your backyard on a Saturday night. It's like, you know that people who do that and just love that vibe are buying your shit. There's, like, you know, there's something about that mentality because like, if you look at the whole Nashville scene, like yeah. it's, that's the entire scene of Nashville, basically. It, well, I'm sure just like, you can hear a song and tell when it's written for money and oh. not making money because it's so good. There's yeah. a difference between songs that are written just pandering. Hey, like it's it's one of those songs that looks at a large group of people and goes, Can we suck your dicks for money? Like if you listen to like any Luke Bryant record, it's literally nickelback with a fiddle. Like it's that's <laughs> all it is. It's the same. That's why I can't stand I saw this chart. Um, it was like about like vocal recording ranges of singers. Yeah. So like Axl Rose is on the top, like he's hit more like vocal range than anybody else, and like Prince is up there. And at the very bottom, it's Luke Bryant, where it's like not even a full scale. It's like four notes he only sings in. And I'm just like, this oh, he's such I'd bite him. Luke Bryan, if you're listening, I challenge you. Right on. This is going down. <laughs> down like you're down to a yeah. <laughs> It's worthwhile, man. It's worth it. Um Yeah. Uh when did you graduate high school? Uh I graduated at the end of grade twelve, but I went back. But when I graduated, it was O two. O two. So when you were in grade That's when my first phase of music and that yeah. whole world uh went into i don't listen to that anymore and i'm todd donald singer songwriter solo so, so that, what were like some of the albums that made you want to pick up a guitar okay are we starting me now yeah yeah um well um there was there was a lot i i was a i was a visual artist right so i drew comic book characters i was oh, cool. steeped in comic books and um what made me want to pick up a guitar was the fact that I couldn't start a band. Uh, oh, I'll just jump right to albums. Uh, the albums specifically. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I know Radiohead had something to do with it. Yeah, that's another band I should mention too, Radiohead. But I wasn't, I wasn't huge into them. But I just, knew, I knew the songs that I already loved. Like Paranoid Android was one of the first songs that I learned. Uh, Third Eye Blind's first album. Oh yeah, even, and that's not, these aren't even albums that I owned or listened to all the way through. But like the songs that were in my mm. head, anything by Tenacious D. Um, I was definitely listening to Blink One Eighty Two at that point and Aerosmith. But and and just a lot of songs that were around. The albums that I was into weren't related to my learning how to play guitar, though. It's weird. Yeah. Um, the bands that made me want to do music and that I was listening to were like everything by the beastie boys i was a huge beastie boys nerd yeah. so i had their eps and their their sleeve singles um hunted down uh everything by aerosmith and they were the first band that i saw oh cool and this is like a year before i started writing songs constantly and doodling, doodling in class i was just writing lyrics down about the girls who didn't like me and how i wasn't i didn't have any friends and uh all the stuff that i did to myself that i was just praying people would coddle me into you know what I mean? Like right. I, I felt very sorry for myself and I wanted whoever listened to my songs, if I ever should sing them to feel sorry for me. And that, that was how it started. Um, and I, I moved to Kitchener in the summer of 2000. So I started at resurrection. That was my high school, mm -hmm. uh, in grade 11. And that fall, um, Limp Bizkit was huge in my life <laughs> just because Fred Durst's immaturity as a 30 year old reflected exactly how I felt as a, as a 15 year old. 
And also, I was I was listening to the first couple of Eminem records, right? And I I their personalities and their immaturity as a as grown men it doesn't resonate with me now. Yeah, now, they're brilliant performers and lyricists, but apart from that, uh, toss in the trash, and I won't get back into them. Uh, Green Day, Blink One Eighty Two, uh, these were big records at the time. Warning, but I went back to Dookie. Yeah. Um, Blink 182's Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication. Yeah, I remember Californication, but I was older at that time. I was I was in my twenties. Like yeah. when I was in high school, One Hot Minute came out. That was Dave Navarro was on guitar, yeah. and it had it was all right. Like I don't know, I I still like the older Chili Peppers, but I like older Chili Peppers, um, like the whole um, George Clinton era. Yeah, you know, like I loved like Walk Like a Brave, and you know, What Hits was a fantastic cover record kind of thing. The albums before John Frusciante came around, like Behind yeah. the Sun. Yeah, these are great songs. Me and my friends, mm-hmm. um, shit, Hollywood. If you want me to stay, their cover of that. Oh fuck. Yeah, that's like that's a fantastic cover. Yeah, that's. I remember hearing that song and like that oh. bass line just turned me on. Oh yeah, I was and like, then you listen to like Sly and the Family Stone. And you're like, yeah. oh, identical. It's such a great, yeah. But it's such a great riff. He just, I think, recently got his settlement for, you know, back taxes or back royalties. Oh, I shit. think, and he was like living in a trailer, and then he, he got like a ridiculous amount of money. So good yeah. for him. <laughs> he's 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 a definitely a cool, cool producer and writer. Mm-hmm. So. Well, these three guys uh, who had a band already called Spiral Vision, they didn't have a singer yet per se, uh, and they asked me to join them. And uh, one of the main components of them asking me to do that was that we were going to do a song in the Christmas Assembly. I think they were they were like considering me as mm-hmm. a, to be a singer for them, um, but I w- I was just in my own headspace at the time. I without their knowing, I had these fantasies of becoming a full on part of the band already, like I already was. There was the lack of communication. I st- I was like like I'm writing songs with them, playing on them in mind and learning how to play them but we would we would get together and we would rehearse songs by Our Lady Peace and Creed and uh Limp Biscuit and I was excited about the Limp Biscuit thing and the song that they chose for the Christmas assembly was yeah. uh you know Christian school friendly version of Take a Look Around that Mission Impossible song they did okay um and uh, I got I got kicked out of the band for 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 so many reasons. I totally should have. Like they they made the right move. I was a I was an idiot, but um, at the time I was still very insecure, and that went into my songwriting. Still, um, simultaneously to that, I was learning how to play guitar because I knew how to play some keyboards, and I signed up for music. And their music class, if you were in grade eleven, it was already like this built ensemble that didn't have piano. So I showed up, and they're like. We sort of got nothing for you to do. Mm-hmm. So I re-signed up to an elective that was introductory guitar. And I I took some lessons as a kid that I didn't really take seriously, but I was used to playing left-handed guitar. Okay. Uh, and they said, well, we only have classical guitars that are uh, right-handed, so you're going to have to learn that way. So I did. I learned how to play guitar. That's uh, what I did. I right-handed. ended up learning right-handed. Right on. Yeah, because I'm a lefty. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was weird, but I mean, there's no other way for me to play it. I'm I'm a right-handed guitar player, uh, if I'm even okay at it. And that opened up this whole new thing, because I was writing songs for like two years uh, from that big first teen heartache, now starting to just think a lot more about rock and roll. Um, and I have an instrument which can create a chord pattern 
that I can write down and remember. Right. Yeah. So I can write a song and a week later I can play you that same song because I'm writing down the chords and I remember the melody because I'm playing it over and over again. Yeah. And I was obsessed. And um, it was at this Christmas assembly that I was introduced to, to one of the local bands that was in my high school uh, and they were called Klutz. Um, now John Maxim from Klutz. And, I like that name. Yeah. And they were very Green Day influenced. So they were sort of like this... Uh, uh, young Green Day, young indie Green Day band from Kitchener that I liked on their own merit mm-hmm. and on that similarity too. Uh, now John Maxim from from there does Breaching Vista now, so they're oh I know John yeah I, I yeah. worked with John uh, we did a, a battle of the bands we were judges together super cool guy oh yeah one of the nicest guys in the world that he's I, he still keeps in touch with me and we still try to write songs together yeah you know I like that battle of the bands I learned a lot from him just just listening to him talk he was talking about like. Um, he, he was getting really big into live producing, which I think is a fantastic field because we always think of producers as doing records, mm-hmm. but bands really don't focus on their live set. And he's yeah. like, you know, you got to like learn how to arrange your songs. Yeah. This is when you do your call to action. Um, do the, like really like just what he, he was talking. I, I was like writing notes. Science. Yeah. Fantastic. And I think that's why Breaching Vista is like, they're a really, really solid live band. They just opened for fucking, uh... ah, damn it. They just opened up for, Pretty big band at Maxwell's recently too. Was it, was it I'm of the Earth? Iconoline Crush or something like that. Was it Iconoline? I I saw Iconoline Crush the first time they came to Maxwell's. Yeah, that you know that golden age of Canadian rock. Yeah, they they all play live at Maxwell's. In yeah, Waterloo. and that, that's what's so great about Maxwell's. It's like it's you're, it's great if you're my age because you're like yeah. yeah. And I, it was like one of his first big shows that he was having was Iconoline Crush, and they were gonna do it in the small room, but they wanted to impress him, so they opened the big room, but they didn't have the numbers. So Paul was like, do you want to come to see a Conline Crush for free? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Right on. And because, you know, and you've, they were good. They were really good. I really enjoyed them. I've never seen them live before. And it's amazing how many singles they had that I didn't realize were theirs until they like. that like, when it's all that you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had tons of stuff. Right. And I think yeah. they were like in the 90s. They were always, they were never the best band, but they were always, they were consistent in all the, sh- all the shows. Like yeah. you go to a festival, I can guarantee you a Colin Crush will always be there. They were always there. And so right. kudos to them, man. Like crushing it, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm glad they're still still doing it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a solid way to be. Um, I've never seen anybody thank more people on stage before in my life. Like he was thanking everybody. Like he, you just see him looking, just thanking people. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is great. Well, in, in the spirit of thankfulness, I, I want to thank John because in that era that I'm talking about, n- no one was more a friend to me in getting me out there, uh, inviting me to be a part of the goings on and the hangings out that that whole era represented. Mm-hmm. Like the main part was the year 2001. And what happened at that Christmas assembly at the end of 2000 was there was this band that played a cover of the Sweater Song. And oh, yeah? that, that introduced me to my singer-songwriter gurus. It was loud, yeah. which I loved because I was 15. And I, I love it now. Like, um, uh, So the first two Weezer albums before the green one came out, th- this was my Jesus in a way. Oh, yeah. Like the blue album, I can tell you not only the song order off by heart, I can yeah. tell you the exact spacing between. Because I listened to that thing from to back. Like from going like... Uh, what was it? Surf Wax USA to Say It Ain't So. Yeah. Like, just like the way, it was such a great album. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Pinkerton. Pinkerton is the same way for me. Like, I, yeah. I, I I would listen to them, I would I would listen to the Blue album, then I would start Pinkerton, and then I would start them all over again. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the first full albums that I knew how to play were those albums and fuck, we should jam them sometime. Totally. Um, so that, that was like, that was who I became a lower level version of while creating my own ideas and expressing my own mm. feelings at the time, which were Fred Durst confessional and made you uncomfortable like, but Weezer melodic. Mm. So that was my, that was, you know, even if through many years after that, people could only appreciate my music if they were musicians the average listener probably just couldn't take in the fact that i was in such pain and needed so so much <laughs> pity but shit but but i was still doing it and um one of my first shows was at the registry theater on september 14th 2001 three days after 9-11 yeah uh and the bands that were around then that i played a lot with and that i saw all the time uh three bands klutz Naked Flubber, they became Since 84, and that was uh, Rick Wren's band and Corey Crossman's band. Corey Crossman is now the yeah. Koi guy. Yeah. Doing really well. I, he's I, not doing it anymore. No? No, he's now like, he's like the music industry representative for London or something like that. And he probably has a lot of people that, because of his position, will come up to him and ask for stuff, which leads me to believe that that's the reason why, when I've seen him in recent years, just saying hi to him is greeted with a sort of unwelcomeness. Yeah, he's a busy guy, man. I he's, like, yeah, yeah. I met him. Um, I got to know him again through the Battle of the Bands with John. Right. At Maxwell's Battle of the Bands, I was one of the judges, but Corey was the other judge, and so like we did a few judges together. And he was, yeah, yeah. he was cool that way. We always ate popcorn and we got drunk, and you know, <laughs> I think it was kind of nice. I think he enjoyed it too a little bit, where you know it wasn't, yeah, because I, I remember we played. Um, fest that year and i said hi to him and he was all over the place like he's right. like i can't talk right now but i don't blame him like it's yeah it's totally. a big festival um and and that was another band that like klutz invited me to play keyboards with them and mm-hmm. uh gave me all the exclusives because i was such a big fan of them and they were sort of like naked flubber sound was sort of like a lower level but still their own sound uh social distortion meets blink 182 cool um and so th- these these two bands I hung out with all the time, and I, I knew their records and their songs inside and out. Um, really, really cool thing about that time. Um, a band that I listened to and saw a lot but didn't hang out with so much was Handheld. Do you remember Handheld? Yeah, yeah, I remember Handheld. Um, and they, they they vastly improved around till around the time that they stopped doing music. Who like, was in Handheld? Uh, that was Andy and... Andy Dietrich and his brother Pat Dietrich on the drums. Um, Rick Guerrero, bassist from Klutz, who joined them as their right. bassist later. Uh, Craig Retzler was on guitar. And they also had Rick's brother Alex on guitar for a while, too. Okay, because I think we played shows with them, but so many bands, I forget. Yeah, a really fast pop, pop punk band mm-hmm. or punk rock band. Uh, there was a one that I'm thinking of right now. Interesting story. I'll cut my, my story short here because it wasn't long before I got into like Sublime and Ska like that. And then I got into classic rock and I became singer-songwriter Todd, who went as Todd Donald. And I mm. didn't have any other names like Toddy. Um, okay, so going back to this punk rock scene, there was one band that I saw that one of the bands that toured through and played with the local bands, like Moonin did. That was a big deal for... Moonin's cool. Yeah. yeah. Other people knew them better than I did. I just bought their album that they had out at the time, The Theory of Harmonial Value. And I still have it. Um, the band, uh, there's a band called Bayside now, not the same band, but there was a band called Bayside from Hamilton. They sounded like Blink-182 fuck lit and they had a baby. Um, 
and it was they were so great and i remember being like oh you guys are from hamilton cool can i help you carry your gear out uh, yeah. you know how many shows do you guys play um and i bought the record and they, they all autographed it and the guy who wrote the songs and sang lead vocals was uh I, i'm looking at it recently right what what are they up to now kind of re- nerding out mm-hmm. the guy's name is jeremy Widerman. and i'm like whoa that guy's name last name rhymes with uh spider-man <laughs> Uh, what's he up to now? He's the guitar player in a band called uh, Monster Truck. Yeah, I saw that segue. I love Monster Truck. I saw them. Uh, they must have just got their deal, and they were still like doing small shows, and they played yeah. the Hive, which is like a hundred seater. And at this point, you just knew that they were already bound for greatness. Anyways, yeah. like three weeks later, they dropped their first single, and from the what is it, the Brown EP? What was the the Brown cover EP? I can't remember. Uh-huh. But anyways, um, yeah, freaking great. I saw them with Monine. Uh, no, I saw it was the last um, oh Dallas Green's other band. Why can't I think of it? Alexis on Fire. Alexis on Fire. Their last show, and they had Monine open up for him in Hamilton. And awesome. it was funny because uh, we ran into the one guy from Monster Truck. So we were talking to him for a bit, and he's like, they really want, they ended up opening for them at the Horseshoe. Right. Not the Horseshoe, Um, the warehouse in, or was it the Sound Academy? Sound Academy in Toronto. But they wanted the Hamilton gig because they're Hamilton boys. They're like, oh, we want to like right. do that. But anyways, they didn't. And, <laughs> so we got to hang out with them anyways and they were like getting ready for their next big tour and it's awesome they're a fantastic band right. anyways well j- just to to summarize the music that i'm listening to now i was listening to it for sentimental value but i'm finding that i i, I legitimately like it and welcome it back into my repertoire of listening again mm-hmm. and that's rage against machine blink 182's peak era like their their tom lord alge productions just right in the turn of the century 99 mm. 2000 take off your pants and jacket anima the state uh foo fighters their early stuff the stuff that they had just at the end of the 90s yeah from the beginning till then um green day uh anything up until warning which is the concert i saw them on and weezer's first two albums uh i i like everything by weezer but i love their first yeah. two and their last two the white album is excellent yeah, you know what? I've never had like I I feel sorry for them because they had such great written albums that either you want them to do something different or you want them to keep writing the blue album. Yeah, right? and it's like that. That's hard as an artist to be like, you know, I I I did that almost twenty five years ago. I I want to do something new now. Yeah, you know. But every time you try something different, everybody's like, oh, just be like that. It's like ACDC just gave up on that. Like every album sounds like the black album now. It's, yeah, or they did. I don't know. Anyways. Um, yeah, that's that that stuff is awesome. Yeah. And it's it's cool to to think about everything that was going on, that whole world that was going on when you first in your in your first incarnation. And mm-hmm. that's uh that's cool for me to talk about. Yeah. Like we're we're pretty lucky that we grew up in that era of of uh awesome music, and especially awesome Canadian music, because I feel sorry for who's like looking for influence now. I shouldn't say that. There, you know what? Again, when I say stuff like that, that just that's me being lazy. There are some really great bands out there, like Monster Truck, that yeah. anybody can find and be like, "This is awesome. I want to listen to Monster Truck." You know, yeah. and you can always go back and do what I did. You know, listen, like find some punk rock band that's out there and find their influences and start listening to that. Yeah. And then before you know it, you have your own. Uh... At the same time, like <laughs> I'm sorry to do this, but there's there's some hipster bands though that are not the least bit modest. Oh, for sure. They want you to. They they throw in your face this idea of being like we're something unlike anything and you're a loser. Like you walk off the earth. 
I don't know much by them, but Walk Off the Earth, Monster Truck, there's a link there. Um, Is there? There's a link? <laughs> but you see these bands, and they're wearing suspenders, and they're wearing hats from the 30s. And, oh, yeah. Uh, they, yeah. Look like, they look like 1930s hobos. And, like, you motherfuckers... All you did was you were you had spiked hair and wore a t-shirt like and the Lumineers, and I like the Lumineers in in some ways. And but uh, you motherfuckers were just punk teens. Sorry for spitting. And you watched Oh Brother Where Out Art Thou, and now you do that. Yeah. Don't even play. Like it's like funny. you came up with this idea. But of in the nineties, it was like the swing thing. I remember like you said, like Brian Setzer and all these bands would dress like they're like because swingers came out, so everybody's yeah. like, we're gonna dress like the thirty swingers, and this is gonna be a thing. But they were transparent about where it came from. These bands, these hipster bands from like as far back as two thousand eight. Yeah, you're dressed up like turn of that turn of the nineteenth century hobos, and you're acting like you're doing something that's never been done before. 